how you can too with your host, your boy, Alvi, a.k.a. Danny, a.k.a. Mr. You Can Too. Today we have an amazing episode with one of my closest friends from Georgetown University, Martina Abrahams Luanga. Today we dive deeply into the subjects of protecting your energy, creating and keeping boundaries, the side effects and complications of birth control, and how to develop and maintain a stillness practice that works for you. Enjoy the show. What's up, everybody? You're in for a special, special, special treat today. (laughs) Our podcast guest is, first of all, one of my best friends, one of the most amazing, strong, passionate, creative people that I know. She's a creative entrepreneur, the founder of You Had Me At Black, please check that podcast out, and the executive producer of Natal, the one, the only, the amazing Martina Abrahams Ilunga. Yeah, that was so nice. That was one of the nicest things anyone ever said. Thank you. <laughs> oh, and I meant every word of it. I mean, it's it's so it's so funny. Right before we started recording, we're talking about how quickly the time has gone by, and you think about it, we're in 2020. Yes. And we met in 2011. No, like, we met in 2007. Oh, look at that. that. We graduated 2011. We met in 2007. Yes. You were talking about damn 13. 14, 13, 14 years of friendship. I know. That's cra- wild. It's wild to think about. And for me, it's been such a pleasure to see how much you've grown and especially found your voice and your power during these last 13, 14 years and how powerfully you show up for all different types of people and I really want to commend you on that oh thank you I mean I literally right back to you I, I feel like um, it's been so incredible to watch your journey and your work in your career um, and the direction that you've taken um, and I, I'm, I'm always so proud of you like I'll I tell Callie all the time like I'll come across an Instagram post I'm like I'm so proud of Danny you know it's yeah. just um, so it was all right back to you. I think that you're doing really incredible work as well, really um, important work. Um, and so I'm just happy to continue to see you help more people and to find your voice and to build your platform um, and all that. Uh, thank you so much. That means honestly the world to me. And something that I appreciate so much about you is how open you are and how willing you are to be vulnerable because you see the power in your voice and with your projects you really display the power in telling the vulnerable story telling the Mm -hmm. powerful story telling the important stories Mm -hmm. of a lot of people who maybe have never had the platform to share them before yes where where or and when did that become such an important thing for you to be able to create these platforms and share these stories Oof, you know, it's kind of, there are different points in my life where I felt this desire to, to tell these kind of stories um, before I even decided to like, okay, let's, let's start a podcast. Um, I think as a kid, I was always interested in journalism because I was always someone who, when I learned 
like I loved stories. I loved learning about people. I really loved understanding what. Sorry, there's a siren in the background, but shout out to Brooklyn. <laughs> shout out to Brooklyn. Um, but I've always just loved understanding what motivates people, what makes us tick. I always, I was the kid that like, my mom would be in the nail salon. I'd be looking at all the magazines and like all the features of people. Like I just loved learning about people's lives and who they are. And I loved learning about people different from me. I was an avid reader um, and I was interested in journalism from a young age. But the time when we were in high school, the mid 2000s, is what, like when the internet and news started to kind of come together and people weren't sure what that industry would look like. And so I was like, well, it looks like there's no money there, so I'm not gonna go that route. But mm. as an adult, and so I went into business because I thought there's money in business. Um, but as an adult, I, I grew up in a Haitian and African-American household. And my, you know, so my black experience was very much influenced by like both of those cultures, like black American culture and Haitian culture right. um, and values. And for me, that mesh was so natural, right? And it was, I didn't think about it. And it wasn't until I went to college and then I, after college and I was just living and meeting people of different backgrounds. And I realized like, oh, we don't ex we all experience our blackness in the same way. So that's when I started to kind of get interested in understanding people's stories around their blackness and how they relate to that. Um, that was like 2013-ish. And I kind of had an idea for some type of creative project that started those conversations and told those stories. But I just let it sit. Um, I wasn't quite ready to pick it up. And it wasn't until um, maybe three, four years later, I had moved from New York City to where I was living at the time, to the Bay Area. Um, and when I was moved out there, I said, you know, this is the innovation capital of the world. We have all this startups and stuff happening here. I can't leave here without starting something. So mm -hmm. after a while, I was like, let me go back to this original idea I had. And at the time we were, I would say at the start, like it was the first, the very beginning of the first part of the uprising that we're in today. So we're coming off of Trayvon Martin um, being killed by George Zimmerman and nothing happening. Um, we're, we're all around the same time as like, Mike Brown, um, then we start getting to Philando Castile and Alton Sterling and Sandra Bland. Um, and so we're starting like to really see these instances of police brutality pop up on the internet for, through cameras. And one thing that hit me was the lack of control that black people had over our own narrative. Wow. Um, because I saw the way these people were being villainized in the media, right? Like. Trayvon Martin is killed and he's only carrying Skittles and a Snapple, but then they're finding old pictures of him, you know, quote unquote, throwing up gang signs on Facebook, you know, but he's also the kid that went to like NASA camp. So right. it just like, there was no space for him to just be a teenager that listened to hip hop and also went to NASA camp and like science. And right. it was like, because he listened to hip hop, all of a sudden he's a bad teenager or because maybe, yeah, whatever the stories mm. were. And, they, and I saw all that and I was like, yeah, we need control over our own narrative. And even when we think about um, how we as black people see ourselves and how we're influenced by these narratives, that interested me almost even more because it was like, we've been brainwashed. We've been brainwashed to believe that we're not 
beautiful, that we're not smart, that we're not powerful, that we don't have agency, that we can't take control of our communities, that we can't lead ourselves, that we can't, you know, and I was like, all of that is untrue. Um, And so I really became interested in how do we kind of reclaim the narrative about what it is to be black and have it instead of being based on like lies and racism that's trying to keep us down and instead have it just be based on the truth like our real stories whether they're good bad or otherwise because we don't really get the opportunity to be fully human in other forms of traditional media we're starting to see more of that now like we have insecure with Issa Rae we have all these other shows that are being written and directed by black creators that are showing how black people experience the full human experience and how we're complex people you know (laughs) absolutely but at the time we didn't really have a lot of examples of that especially in podcasting um and so that's long-winded answer but that's how i became interested in sharing stories i think that it's a great their storytelling specifically is like proven to be the most effective way to build bridges between people to for people to um for their hearts and minds to change like more than numbers and stats and data it's stories that changes people's hearts and minds and really convinces them of whatever you're trying to convince them and so that's that's um that's kind of how it all got started Mm. that's so powerfully put and one of the things that really pop out to me as you explain that is how effective it is when black people get to be fully self-expressed because there's been or there really there hasn't been enough opportunity for us to tell our own story to create our own narrative as opposed to try to defend our stories versus these people's perception of what they see in the media Mm -hmm. or certain books that they read or whatever their experience is with black people like understanding Mm -hmm. it's so much more complex than that it's not as simple as fitting a black person into the black box right what it means to be a black person exactly exactly that's phenomenal i appreciate that and i know now it's like you've been in this space with you had me at black and I think it's so it's so fitting to, like you said, not just the times we're going through now and how you were sparked in 2013 and how it's been long overdue way before that. Mm-hmm. And now it, it seems like with George Floyd's death, we really hit this tipping point where now more people are, it seems like they're more open to listening or to mm-hmm. seeing what's going on. Mm-hmm. being in the space that you're in and having the platform that you have, how has it been <laughs> creating? Yeah. Right. Right. Finding that balance and creating the space for yourself to yes, tell these stories, give your input and to, you know, help other people understand and finding that balance between keeping your own, peace and recharging your battery and keeping your own sanity because i know that's something that i've been struggling with mm-hmm. these last three four weeks that's a great question um i mean from a work standpoint and at work i mean like you have me on black and natal from the jump with both shows we've we might as in my team and i have been very intentional about who our audience is and it's black people like period point blank that's it 
If someone else listens, good, awesome. Tune in all you like. But we're centering the stories for black people. And so what that means is we don't have to explain our lives because we live our lives, right? right? So I don't... You know, and early in you had me in black. We had a couple of stories where it was like, do we have, do we explain this for an audience? It's like, no, that waters our experience down. Like, almost like you know, Toni Morrison always said that like you don't even realize that I am the center. Like, pe- white people think that they're the center of the universe, and she's hmm. like, with my stories, you don't even realize that I'm the center and I'm way over here, and that's what the spirit that we create in. So, and this time. It, you know, both of my shows have gotten a lot more attention from non-black people and they've, I see them flooding our social media, they're in our inboxes, they're in our email inbox. Um, and I have to be very clear that like, this is, we're creating with a very specific audience in mind and that too we prioritize. And if you're there, it's a privilege for you to see this. So I don't even, in my work, I don't even think about them. like. Mm-hmm. People ask me all the time, what do you want white people to get out of this work? I want them to get out that, like, they're not the center of the universe. Mm. You know what I mean? If that makes them uncomfortable, good. But I don't even like to tell them that because it's like, I want them to know, like, I'm not thinking about you. (laughs) You know? So, but that's in the work. For me personally, um, you know, it's, these times are always interesting because, you know, you do get a couple of those messages, those text messages, people want to check in. People want to see how you're doing. People wanting to know how can they help. And that in and of itself, like, even knowing I have the, even if I don't answer right away, knowing that the message is there and I have to answer it is, like, sucks my energy. And so what I've been trying to do is, one, take my time, like, answering people. If I'm not ready to engage, I won't ready answer until until I'm in a good space, too. Um, But also really directing people to, like, challenging them and directing them to doing the work for themselves right so if someone's like you know how are you i just want to check on you it's like i'm fine but like if you really want to be my friend and you really consider yourself my friend here are some resources that you should be like engaging in and sharing with your friends like here's like you need to unlearn racism right you need to unlearn white supremacy so like don't check up on me tell me update me once you've read these books and all the things that you've learned and how you're going to move differently in the world in your work and with your family, uh, how you're gonna make this world a more just place for all people, right? So, so finding, for me, that's been like finding that voice and that courage, and I, it's actually come very easily this time around because I think I'm kind of at my wit's end. Mm. Um, and I, my husband and I, we created this doc called the Protect Your Energy doc, and we created like all these canned responses to common emails and messages we get from white folks, and we just shared that around with people because we were like, I don't want any, black person have to spend their energy trying to validate racism trying to validate their experiences trying to validate their hurt or their anger trying to help white people who created this mess learn it like why don't come to me you're it's your forefathers who created this not me so why are you looking at me to explain it to you when it's like there are books and all these resources out there for you to learn it you don't have to ask me where to start for sure. And it's powerful because what I love about what you're saying in both professionally and personally, how you've set these clear boundaries on for professionally, like who these podcasts are for, who these mm-hmm. stories are for. It's for black people. If you're not a black person, you want to listen. Great. However, understand this message is geared for us. Yes. Right? So, so it, if 
you don't like something, then you know that's fine. You feel uncomfortable, that's great. Check in. Yeah. And then, personally, what I heard from you is how important it is for a white person in this instance to be able to do the work on their own. Yeah. Right. Like, like even for me, just speaking for myself, like I'm very, I am grateful that white friends are reaching out to me and you know seeing how I'm doing and how I'm feeling and all of those things. And I didn't even realize how exhausting it was until maybe a week after George Floyd's death. And I'm just sitting in my room and I'm just like, yo, why am I so like, I'm like literally burnt out. Like I'm tired. I'm angry. I feel weak. And I couldn't really understand what it was coming from. And what I realized is that I was so consumed, not only in the videos and the stories and everything that was going on, but also trying to be in a place of service to help other people better understand because that's my normal go-to. Like I'm a coach. I want to coach people. I want to help them improve, get better, provide tools and resources and all these things. And I realized with this, these situations that are going on and how deep and how heavy they are that I was trying to literally give from an empty cup Mm. (laughs) because I was going through this time of mourning like I didn't realize I was in a I was going through mourning, but that's what I was doing. I had so much grief yeah. and and mourning that I was going through and still trying to be of service that like I tired myself out. And now and you sent me the document to protect my energy, which has been so powerful and, and sending people to other resources mm-hmm. to say like, hey, like you have the responsibility to learn these things yourself like you're more than capable. You're on the internet all the time. It's not like you have to go far to search them. If this mm-hmm. is something you're truly interested in and it's not lip service, well, hey, like, go do it. And once you do that work, then we can have a real conversation about yeah. this. Exactly. Like, I would rather somebody come to me and be like, hey, I'm considering reading these three books. What do you think about them? Or I just read this, listened to this talk by so-and-so. You know, like, in, like once you kind of have done some of that work and now you want to engage me versus start from, like, I know nothing. Help me start. <laughs> right. I'm like... Because there's privilege in that. There's privilege in that. You know? And, and it's like this... You kind of feel like a mule. Like, I'm a... Like you said, there's... Yes, the grief, I think, is real. That's something that, for a long time, I didn't realize I was doing either. I didn't realize, like, that I was just sad. You know, and it's like it's a, and that's normal. Right. Um, and I okay, that empty cup, that place of working from an empty cup, I can definitely relate to. And I think that's part of the reason why, like collectively, as a black community, we a lot of us were feeling that. And I, I just felt like this time around, I'm hearing my friend just be more tired, more sad, more sluggish, sleeping less. And I was like, yo, this one hit as hard as like a people. You know, it did. it did. I really feel like we hit a tipping point yes. where it was just like, you know, it was the, the straw that broke the camel's back and we're just like, fuck. Yeah. Mm. Well, I definitely appreciate your insight on that. And I know this conversation wasn't our direct intention. It's yet. okay. I, I, think, <laughs> I think it's very important that that people do hear this from our perspective because I really do resonate with you in the sense of, you know, 
being or being experienced as a black person who is articulate or being the the black friend for so many white people that I got to, you know, kind of take on this burden, which it was a choice, you know, mm. no, no one forced me to do it. But I, I really appreciate your perspective because, you know, I know that you have friends who are white and I can only imagine how many different people, you know, reached out to you because you may be the only person that they might feel comfortable enough to reach out to. Yeah, yeah. That number is, get, is getting smaller and smaller. <laughs> I'm sure. I believe it. Yeah, but um, there, there are definitely, there are definitely still some. So it is, it is, um, yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a unique place to kind of sit. For sure, for yeah. sure. Shifting gears slightly, me, you, and I were both very big into personal development, personal growth, mm-hmm. being our best self. And we, we've even worked together on these things way back in the day when I was first starting out my career. And through conversation, you shared something so powerful with me in your experience with taking birth control. Mm-hmm. And there were so many different profound things that came up for you. And part of that, too, if, I, if I'm correct, did that also inspire you with natal as well? Or were those two completely separate things? Those two were completely separate things. Although, in the grand scheme of, like, reproductive health, they're, you know, under the same umbrella. But they were definitely two two separate things. I never really compared them, yeah. Or, like, linked them together. Right. And and as I'm, I'm looking at your story, and I want you to go into it, the reason why it's so important and profound to me is that it's, I'm always interested in how there's these everyday things that, you know, in some cases it's men, some cases it's women, in some cases it's both men and women. Mm. We go through these experiences where they're, they're quote unquote normal, mm. where in my estimation, it's not really normal. It's more so that it's common. Yeah. It's the status quo. It's what everyone does. And we don't realize oftentimes how profound of an impact it can be having on our health yeah. physically mentally emotionally spiritually until the shit hits the fan yeah and i would love to hear your experience with birth control and your learning lessons through that yeah so you know i was someone who i started birth control very, like much later in life like i know i have a lot of friends who started it in high school or in college and i didn't start it until I was engaged with to my husband Callie, now husband, and um, it was something that like I, for I I didn't even realize the gradual change, and it also I started it during a time where it's actually kind of hard to like see which came first, but it was a, a stressful time. I was like working full time. I was working on you had me at black on the side so just like my time was very stretched and then you know trying to plan a wedding and all that stuff and all of the family stuff that can come up with that um, and some of the financial pressures Mm. that come up with the wedding so it was kind of like this perfect storm that I started my birth control during Um, and I didn't even realize this gradual decline but I was someone who 
if you knew me before, very social, loved hanging out, loved being with my friends, <laughs> loved being in the mix, yes. you know? And that's like everyone who knows me before this, like that time in my life knows that is Martina. I was the complete opposite. I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want you to invite me to anything. I wanted to come straight home, go right to bed. Um, I was crying a lot. I was sad. And I'm a, norm I'm a pretty optimistic and happy person. Like that's always how I've been. I usually see the brighter side. I see life as half, glass half full. But I was just always sad. And I remember being like, just thinking about how like how much life sucks. I was like, yo, life is really sad. Like other people's sad stories, I really hung on to them. I'm just like, can you believe that life is just so tough? Like life is just so sad. Like, and I started to question why even be here? Like I was like, why, you know, are we even here? Like if we're trying to get to heaven, why do we even have this middle point? Like why can't we just rush all this time on earth around so we can just get to judgment day and like do i go to heaven or not you know like that's how i started yeah. to think and there was a one afternoon i was driving and i remember feeling sad and just feeling heavy like life is just this horrible thing and i was like the idea of death felt so, like a warm blanket like i was like mm. letting go of the wheel would be so amazing right now and I imagine the car like crashing into something, but not even crashing, like gently like crumbling into like a wall and wow. me just being enveloped in death. And it's and it felt like a warm blanket, like in my head. And I thankfully did not let go of the wheel. I got home safely. But that's when I was like, yo, Martina, something is wrong. And there was another day, a couple of, maybe a little after that, where I just came home from work and you know, Callie was home and I would come home and I would just go straight to bed. I didn't want to do any work for you had me a black. I didn't want to cook. I didn't want to eat. I would just like, it didn't matter if I it was my night to do chores. I just wanted to go straight to bed and I would cry myself to sleep. And there was this one night I was like, yo, what is wrong with you? Like, why are you so sad? Like, this is not who you are. Like, there were days I'd cry and be like, I used to be a happy person. And I'm like, why are you so sad? And it what clicked in my head is I had a friend who had told me that her birth control had made her depressed. Like she mm. suffered for this. I maybe did like four or five months. She suffered it for a year or two. Jeez. Before she, her, maybe it was her therapist. Someone else pointed it out for her. She didn't even realize on her own. And I was like, you know what? That's what's different in my life. Like this new birth control is different in my life. So I had called my mom. Like my mom had knew that I was struggling and I, I told her, I was like, maybe it's my birth control. She's like, you need to stop it right away. You need to go to your doctor. So I'm like, all right, cool. So I go to my doctor, my OBGYN, and I tell her, I think my birth control is making me depressed. And she was like, okay, so what do you want to do? And I'm like, <laughs> well, I don't want to have a baby yet, and I don't want to be depressed, so, like, what are my options? And she was just like, I'm, you know, she was just very much like, you basically have to, like, if you don't want to have a kid right now, then you got like, you're gonna have to suck it up kind of thing. And at the Jeez. time I was on a pill that was the lowest like levels of hormones. Cause I didn't want, I had done a little bit of research and I knew that I didn't want like a bunch of hormones in my body. So right. she was like, well, the only way up from here, the only way to go from here is up. Like the only thing we can do is up your hormonal levels cause Jeez. you're on the lowest one. So I said, all right, um, I'll give that one a try. And that one was better 
but I still wasn't fully myself. Mm. And I forget when I decided to just stop taking it. Um, I just decided to stop taking it um, Mm. because I was like, I can't do this anymore. And now looking back, my husband said the same thing. He's just like, I forgot like the type of person you are. Like I'm back. I, I feel so happy and blessed to like be back. Like I'll wake up in the morning happy, you know, just cause I'm alive. And that's like yeah. how I used to always be. For and sure. so it just knowing that it was really eye opening for me because it's one of those things where it's like, imagine all the p- women and girls that start this stuff when they're 15 because they have a heavy period or because they have their first boyfriend and that's just what they're starting. And they don't even realize that the personality, like they're, they're it's affecting their mood and their personality. They don't even realize Right. And it's just like, I don't know, it makes me feel for them. And I and I think I started to do a little bit of research on birth control and, and you know, why is it allowed to be so harmful? And I'm a big proponent of it. I think women need access to it um, and just and should have access to it. And that shouldn't be restricted. But I just wish that there was more that the people who were in the lab creating the shit like <laughs> cared a lot more about how it affected us. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating. And one, I want to thank you for sharing all of that because that's such a, a, a deep story and there's so many layers to it. And it's so interesting because I had no idea, right. That you went through that time and yeah, most when, people when don't Yeah, That's why I think it's so powerful that you're sharing this because when I think of Martina, I think of just what you said, that jovial, social, like loves to be around people, huge smile, having a great time. And to be anything other than that and to really be on the complete polar opposite side of that through something that is is so common. Yeah. Right? Like like, it, like it's it's so profound. And, you know, I'm really grateful that you're able to notice it and be able to create that change and like you said there's i would imagine so many women who have no idea that whether it's a depression it's anxiety what whatever type of effects they may be feeling could be coming from their birth control medication yeah from your experience what type of advice would you give to a woman that may that's on birth control that may not even realize that there's some type of change that might be going on in their personality, mood, or how they're feeling in general? Um, I mean, I would say, you know, like, know yourself, right? Like, n- pay attention to what you know about yourself and how you feel, and then, you know, start, like, gauging that against how you might feel now. You know, I went the route of getting off of it, which meant, like, starting to use condoms, which is not, you know, for the time being, which is not, some people don't want that. But you got to, you know, figure out ways to make sure that you're not getting yourself into situations that you're not trying to be in, but you're also taking care of yourself. And call your, my doctor wasn't helpful, but I would still say you, you should talk to your doctor and hopefully you have a doctor who's more supportive than mine was, or you can find one who is. Um, but it shouldn't be something that like you allow to continue to happen. There's actually this podcast called Bodies, and it's all about people, mostly women and like non-binary folks who are trying to uh, 
figure out medical mysteries of their bodies, right? There's something going on in their body that they're not sure when they're trying to go down this path to uncover what's going on. The first episode, the woman, um, her, she has a lot of issues tied to her birth control. So depression and stuff, but also like physical uh, effects that it was causing her. And she had been on birth control since she was maybe like in college. And at this point she's like in her mid twenties that she's telling the story. Um, and it's just not, I say that to say that ha- having side effects to birth control is not uncommon. It's um, the FDA and the American government when it comes to birth control, there has not been a lot of care and safety around how these things affect us and also how they're tested. And there have been right. class action like cases on the Supreme Court level, I believe, that deal with what's in birth control and how it affects women. So just know that, like, you you have to take care of yourself. You have to know your yes. own body and your your personality, your mood, and advocate for yourself and do what you need to do to feel your best, right? Because it's not, it's not worth not feeling that way. And there are other options out there, you know? Um, and every person is different. Everybody's different. So you just, sometimes it is trial and error, and that can be a painful process. Like, I tried three different birth controls, before I decided that I was gonna do um, like the natural route um, and like natural fertility tracking route, right? Um, Absolutely. But even still, like I still wish I could just pop a pill and be fine because it's just, I feel like it's more uh, foolproof, but (laughs) (laughs) you know, like at the end of the day, like my husband and I both agree, like it's it's not worth the way I was feeling and the impact it had on both of us. You know, so, um, yeah. There's so many gems that you dropped in there. And the first one I want to touch on is self-awareness and how important it is for each person and for women in this instance to develop a way of becoming self-aware of when is it do I feel my best? What is it that, like, how does my body feel when I feel like it's operating properly on all levels, like how does my mind feel yeah. when I'm operating at my best? And then on the opposite side, it's like, okay, what are the type of things that take me away from that, that take me from yeah. a 10 down to a two, from making me be jovial to depressed yes. and being able to kind of just discover within yourself, like what was the variable that changed? which I think is amazing. And I'm so grateful that you were able to do that at the time. Yeah. And then the second thing that comes up and where, you know, for me, it's like, as you share this story, all I can have is compassion because I'm not a woman. Mm. And as a man, I think it's so important that we really develop partnerships, like true partnerships with our partners. Yeah. And I make up that men are very, selfish when it comes to birth control and how it affects women. I mean, even me when I was younger, like I didn't really give two thoughts to a woman's birth control. It was just like, oh, okay, like you're on birth control. Well, then that's yeah. just a free pass for me to not wear a condom. And, right. it's, and it's not me thinking at all about what's going on, like with you, like internally, mentally, spiritually yes. and everything like that. And for Callie to take the time and it, it sounded like he really did partner with you in this mm-hmm. and be like, Hey, like something's like really off. Like, and like, how can I be an ally and help you, you know, 
feel more comfortable in whatever route you want to take. Yeah. No, I, I think that that is definitely huge. And when I was going, when I was saying earlier, like, I feel for, like, younger girls and women and people on birth control because it's, like, a lot of times there is a part, there's partner pressure to get on it, right? And it's, like, you have these boys that just want, you know, they want to have sex, obviously, and they're looking at you like, what are you going to do? And neither of you really are aware of how it's affecting you. And so it is another way in which like patriarchy can really oppress women. And so that partnership yeah. and that awareness on the, you know, a male partner side is so important. And I would also tell women that if you have a male partner that isn't, that is prioritizing the sex over how you feel, then that's not mm. really a partner and you should reconsider that partnership. Mm. Hard pill to swallow, but it's very, it's true, you know? Absolutely. Um, because you want somebody that considers your whole well-being um, and not just your sexual well-being. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. No, that's powerful. And it's 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 interesting because I make up that it's so difficult. Like, we're, we're in our 30s now. Mm. So it's like, or you're just about to turn 30. Are you 30 yet, Martina? I know you young. For yes, our, for I just, I turned 30 in February. <laughs> so I'm in, the, I'm in my 30s now. <laughs> <laughs> For, and for those that don't know, I used to always give Martina crap about being younger than everybody. So I had to just <laughs> slide that in there. <laughs> However, like what I wanted to say is how, you know, as 30 year olds, it's, you know, we have a little bit more wisdom now. We've lived, lived a little bit more life. We're able to reflect back and be like, OK, like we can see where we may have messed up or where we just were ignorant. and We didn't know things. Mm -hmm. So something that that I love and why I think mentorship is so important is that if you're a younger person right now and you're listening to this, understand what lessons can you take around whether it's birth control, whether it's around self-awareness, whether it's around partnerships, boundaries, like how can you take lessons from other people and apply them to your life? Because mm -hmm. I can only imagine how powerful it would have been if you knew even more about the possible side effects of birth control yeah when you were younger yeah i mean when I, all i knew about birth control when i was younger is that it makes you gain weight your and your boobs can get bigger and your <laughs> butt can get bigger right um and it was and like some of the effects when it came to like regulating your period or some people have really bad acne they'll put them on birth control um, so crazy, you know, but I never knew of the negative side effects. And it's still interesting today because there are outside of the doctor, you know, I, my doctor acted like it wasn't a big deal or like, you know, like, what else do you want? Like, do you want kids or not? Um, mm. But there's a doctor that I follow on Instagram. I think her name is the period doctor. So she talks a lot about like, she I think she's a gynecologist. So she talks a lot about like reproductive health and sex stuff. And she did a, a, a series on birth control and someone had asked something similar, like, can it cause depression? Because I've heard that. And her answer was very like, according to like research, like it's very, very rare for people to have depression. And so I'm looking at myself and my one friend who I do know, you know, ha you know, suffered from depression um, after her birth, taking a certain birth control. And even for that doctor, like even for it to seem like it's this very like, rare edge case i still don't know like I, I i don't know how common my experience is but i just know anytime something is 
changing the hormones in your body, like that's not good. But right? it's gonna right. affect something. Absolutely. Right? That's not natural. Um, Absolutely. And so, I would say that I I don't think we're at a place where we're really looking at it that way because we're unfortunately still advocating for birth control just to be something that women can have access to. You know. Absolutely. When we're fighting for that, it's like I feel like there's little space for critique about the birth control. Like, it's like which fight are we trying to fight? Because if we try to critique it too much, then people are going to be like, "Well, there we go. Women shouldn't be on birth control." And I feel like mm. that's you know, it's like I don't know which harm is worse or better. Um, so it, I feel like there's not a lot of space to critique birth control yet because of people are still just fighting to make sure that every person that wants it can access it. Yeah, that's fascinating because I didn't even think about that double-edged sword of, one, fighting for your right to be able to have the choice to take birth control or not mm-hmm. versus the other side of, well, if I critique it too much, is there a possibility that it's actually going to be taking away from me? Yeah. Which is nuts. And then going back into your story, what you were saying, and something that comes up for me a lot is how it's, it's just like I, I – don't get me wrong. I appreciate a lot of aspects of Western medicine. Mm. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, if I get hit by a bus, like, give me all the surgery, pump me up with all the stuff. Like, I get that. However, like, you know, like some uh, some oregano oil is not going to save me after I, you know, get hit by a bus. Right. <laughs> right. But for some of these other things, when it comes to, like, you know, our physiology and the human body and like you said messing with these hormones there's so many effects that to me they they kind of just get swept under the rug Mm -hmm. or they get belittled or it's not as serious and in your case it almost like minimizes your experience or at least i make up that it does when a doctor who is on instagram has a huge platform i assume is saying these things like yeah no the research shows it doesn't really exist you know that depression doesn't really happen as a result from birth control well i would imagine that would cause the person to look and be like um so like am i different am i tripping is it not the birth control and it really takes away from their experience which i think is so harmful yeah yeah and i mean even if it's like okay i happen to be a rare edge case it's just i don't know i i haven't dove into this area or like a lot of the research at all but like maybe it's just not studied very much right maybe there's not a lot of data like i don't know but i can't i'd be surprised to think that like me and my friend are both a like rare rare edge case and i just happen to meet the other like you know small percent or like one percent of people that suffer from like have mental health triggers by birth control because of birth control you know right and just think about the amount of where awareness that you and your friend got to cultivate to even pinpoint that that's what it was because like you said at the time you had so many other stressors from your everyday job starting out you had me a black on the side uh, planning your wedding like there was like so many variables that come up And I bring all that up to say that I imagine so many people when they do have symptoms, whether it's with birth control or something else that's causing depression, they just blame it on, you know, one of the other variables Mm -hmm. or they just 
don't think it's a big deal. Like, oh, this is normal. I'm supposed to feel this way. Yeah. Like, like everyone else does. Yeah. Like, nah, it don't got to be like that. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we're so, I think there's a lot of mental health um, conditions that we normalize. Like, if you're, if you're able to function, right? Like, I was able to go to work every day, put on a smile, get my work done. But when the minute I was home and not at work, I was suffering. But I was still able to function day to day in my life where most people didn't know. Like the only person who saw it was Callie because we lived together. But even my parents couldn't really tell because, you know, I can I'm just talking to them. I was across the country from them. It's just a phone call. I can sound happy for a phone call. Um, And I think that there's a lot of folks because of different reasons that are really just like high functioning in our society. But we... I think now we're at a space where people are really starting to slow down and like, you know, encourage people to like check in on yourself to calling anxiety, calling depression by their name um, Mm. and to really allowing space for some of those conversations for people to really be able to like self-examine and and, and for it to be safe to do so and safe to like say that to people like, right. You know, if right. this was 13 years ago when we were at school, <laughs> there was no space for me to, for anyone to say that. You know what I mean? Right. Like, even with our friend group or anything like that. But now it's a very different, very different, like, climate towards it and culture towards it. For sure. There's definitely, it's not as taboo as it was before, like you said, 13 years ago when we were just getting to college. And it's interesting to me because part of me thinks that you know, we're in this place now where we are creating the space mm-hmm. where it's even almost trendy right now to have a stillness practice, to meditate, yes. to go to yoga, right? Like there's even a trendiness there where it's cool to do those things. So now yeah. people are actually taking the time to see what comes up because in my experience and the story I tell myself is that people use being busy and occupied as a way to distract themselves from all these internal conflicts yes. that are going on. Yes. Right? So I can only imagine if, especially like my experience of you and how long I've known you, like you've always been a doer. Like you get things done. Yeah. So if you're constantly doing, there's no space to be with yourself and reflect. And sometimes that only happens when you're driving home, mm-hmm. on your way home from work, or you're just at home at the crib chilling like and that's the first time you get to sit and be with yourself and it's like wow now all these things start to come up yes and it's it's fascinating and i invite everybody to one experience your experience like let your feelings come up let the thoughts come up yet do it from a place of non-judgment and more of a a place of discovery it's like, okay, what is my body working to tell me? What is my spirit working to tell me? What is God telling me? What is the universe telling me? Whatever, you know, your, your deity is. It's like there's, there's something that's going on there. And the body and pain, honestly, is one of the best teachers that there is, mm-hmm. right? When we're experiencing some type of pain and some type of discomfort, it's because there's something going on that it's either a not safe yes right it's like telling you like hey get your hand off the stove because you're gonna you know burn your hand off 
right? Like we can all tangibly think of that. But when we think about depression and anxiety and all these other mental health aspects that people go through, we don't see it as tangible and, it, and it's tough. Yeah. 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 No, that's, yeah, that's, yes, absolutely. Absolutely, like, great advice. And it's something that I'm still learning to do. Um, I Like you said, I'm a doer, and my mind is always running, and I really, really have to force myself to just sit. Mm. And Callie, my husband, is someone who has to spend time with himself in the morning. Like, he goes on the longest morning walk. It's where he'll pray, he'll read, you know, he'll just, he just needs his quiet time in the morning. Like, otherwise his day is not right. And I remember when we first got together, I was like, what are you, what are you doing while spending all this time with yourself for? Like, well, I don't understand <laughs> what you do with this time, you know? And he's just like, he like always encouraged me, like, just spend, do something for yourself. Like, go do something that you want to do. Mm-hmm. And I didn't grow up with that like I grew up with my dad doing that for himself my mom never doing that for herself so that wasn't modeled for me as a woman as a wife or even as a mom and now I'm seeing how important it is in all of those you know spaces that um I occupy and maybe hopefully one day will occupy but it um I still I still struggle like even when I have like I'll be like okay I'm gonna shut off work um you know, at a certain time and close my laptop. Then I'll get to my phone and I'll be like, you know what, I mean, I want to read. Like, maybe I'm like, I'm going to read for the last hour before I go to bed. But then I end up in my phone and I procrastinate on reading and I'm like on Instagram. And I just can't, like, I unplugging and just getting that uh, just quiet for myself, is I really do struggle and I don't always know what to do, even with sitting in silence. Like, I always want music playing. I always, like, I always need a distraction. Like, I need to take my mind somewhere else and I'm trying to figure out, like, why and unpack that and just be like, Martina, sit in these thoughts that you have. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, it, it's it's so deep and, it, and, I, and I find that you're not alone in that experience. And I'm yeah. curious, like, as you do reflect on that and you do contemplate that, what has been coming up for you so far in terms of what's effective and what's like ineffective and getting in the way of you creating that space? Ooh, what's effective? I mean, I'm much more likely to uh, be able to get into that right, like that quiet space in the morning than I am in the evening or in the middle of the day. Um, I have found that in some cases playing music does help, like soft classical music, mm-hmm. soft meditation music does help me. Um, I I like having something to focus on. So in my breathing exercises, I'll do those. If you know I'm focusing on my breath and like the breath coming in and out of my lungs, like it's great when I know I have a focal point. Um, For sure, that's really helpful. Um, otherwise, I feel like my mind wanders and it doesn't actually help it to still. Mm. Yeah. It's interesting because absolutely because when you bring up having a focal point, it's so important. And a big misconception that I've learned about in meditation is this idea that meditation is supposed to be like Buddhist monk, like sit cross-legged perfect posture Mm -hmm. don't think about anything mind is blank just breathing 
and Light Watkins, the the man I was telling you about mm-hmm. and whose book I'm reading on meditation, he explains how a lot of us think that's what meditation is supposed to be mm-hmm. because that's how it's portrayed and that's what we see. Yes. Where in reality, we should be looking at those monks as like world-class Olympic sprinters. Mm. Like, like they're the best at of the best and they're at the highest upper echelon of what they do. So the way that they practice and the way that they go about it is going to be much more advanced or different as us everyday folk. Yeah. And like me, you know me, I'm in strength and conditioning and sports performance. And if I tried to take one of my clients off the street and train them like a world-class Olympic sprinter or like a professional NFL player, well, I would crush them and they would probably get hurt, discouraged, and never want to exercise again. Right, right. Right? And I think, and that's what I've realized with meditation when I'm working with clients is that meditation is not what for for the average person it's it's not striving to be like these monks it's more so using the breath as the focal point of what we're focusing on what we're concentrating on yeah and understanding that our brains are wired to think and every time we do wander off and we start thinking it's more so okay there's my mind wandering i'm watching myself watch my mind wander okay let me come back to the breath right and then boom it happens again my mind wanders i come back to the breath and one of my teachers rod he gave this analogy of a basketball player shooting free throws as the average person working on their meditation in the sense that every time a person is at the free throw line they shoot a free throw they get one rep better. Mm. They take another free throw, they get better. Over time, that person's taking hundreds, thousands, millions of free throw shots, Mm -hmm. so they're a better free throw shooter. Mm -hmm. It's the same exact thing with meditation where we're focusing on our focal point. Mm -hmm. The mind wanders. Okay, I catch my mind wander, I come back. That's a free throw. Mm -hmm. Oh, my mind just wandered again. Okay, there it is. I come back, that's a free throw oh, my mind wanders and now I'm ruminating it and I'm getting lost in the story and I'm thinking about what I'm going to eat for breakfast and what I got to do later, this, that, the other. And it's like, oh shit, like minutes just went by, but okay, I caught it and I come back. That's another free throw. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's understanding this process that it's really repetition. Yeah. And, and over time we get better. And how I've seen that show up in my everyday life, I remember vividly about four years ago, it I was... I guess kind of deep in my meditation practice has probably been doing it for, you know, six months to a year. And I had this moment where I was in my house and I can be a doer if I'm not careful, like an overdoer. And I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm working on a project, I'm doing laundry, I'm cooking lunch, and I'm kind of just running back and forth, like doing all these things. And then I just caught myself like, yo, my heart rate is, like my heart is pounding right now. Yeah. And I caught it and I was like, oh, okay, let me, Take a deep breath. Let me recenter myself. What's yes. most important? Okay, let me cook my meal. And I'm yeah. just going to do that. And now in my regular life, when I do catch myself, just like my heart rate coming up or like if I start sweating or if I feel agitated, I'm able to catch it so much quicker now. Yeah. And from there, I get to make a choice and decide like, okay, how is it that I want to shift yes. instead, of get, instead of just getting lost in it all? Yeah. 
That's amazing. And it's funny. Well, not funny, but I probably like a year and a half or a year and a half. I was going to therapy and my therapist was so big on that because I do suffer from anxiety and I didn't even realize I was having physical side effects to, you know, reaction mm-hmm. with my anxiety. And she's the one who was like, yeah, that's your body. <laughs> your body reaction, <laughs> reacting to all this anxiety of the union. And so she had me start doing breathing exercises. And she was like, her goal was for me to become just like you. Like, for me to automatically catch it. And I have to say that it wasn't until this the past few weeks where, like, my anxiety hit one of the highest levels it ever had, you know, following George Floyd's murder and mm-hmm. the uprising. I just was so consumed by everything that I realized that like wow I do rely on these breathing exercises and I'd seen my growth because I knew what to do you know yes. what I mean like I knew how to like okay this is what you need to do you can calm you can get your mind to slow down you can get your heart rate down it's so it's so important I you know just yeah how all these things in our body are connected and how we can we have the power to really control them and to like direct our thoughts in a certain way it's really really powerful um when you realize that and you try to like practice that and in and like apply that power a hundred percent like understanding that you have the capacity to develop these tools and in your instance the breath work to use them in situations where they're gonna benefit you and help you get back to Mm -hmm. a state of equilibrium and, I, and something I'd say about meditation all the time is that it can look so many different ways. Mm. Like there's walking meditations, just simply going outside and having a soft gaze, look forward and just just focus on looking at whatever's in front of you. Mm-hmm. And like that's a form of meditation, like or even being outside and listening to sounds and just focusing on all the sounds like that's a form of meditation. For some people, certain types of workouts can be a meditation, mm. yoga there's any way to really focus on something that you're doing and truly be present in that moment with that is such a powerful tool and it shows up in so many different parts of life and not even to mention productivity which so many doers are striving for right and just to see how all these things mesh and come together it's really powerful for people going forward and you know i think for especially us as black people and a lot of the traumas that we've experienced and that we're experiencing right now through unfortunately the murders of others and just just everything that it is like being able to have these types of tools are super important and if you don't have tools like this like like look online and, and find one thing that seems appealing enough to try because that can be the one thing that really shifts if not saves your life no absolutely and the beautiful thing is that there are more resources available there's this one app i think it's called the liberate app and it's a free meditation app it's the only meditation app created for people of color Wow. And all of the meditations and stuff are guided by therapists and folks who either are people of color or work, their work centers us. So um, I'm pretty sure it's called Liberate App. But I would I'd recommend recommend it um, for folks. And it's free. Like, I know Headspace, Calm, they have subscriptions. Um, right. You know, and then those are great. I, I've used Calm before. 
Um, yeah. So I know that those are also helpful too. But like you said, I think that's really cool too. I think sometimes it's hard. It can be hard though to, you know, like know where to start. Like there's all these things that's like, I don't know, I don't know where to start, right? And mm-hmm. I think for me, what helped me was just like, anything that's like guided breathing that's like instructing me through just like breathing because breathing helps to like you had said earlier get you to a place of equilibrium it helps to slow your body's response down to that you can now like approach things from more thoughtful and calmer place and so um that might work for someone else you know if you're just kind of looking for a place to start i'm still very much a novice um but i find breathing exercises and guy um breath work to be really helpful Mm, i appreciate you sharing that martita you've you've given us so much wisdom you've dropped so many gems you've given us given us so many practical ways to better ourselves mentally as human beings in all types of spaces again i want to commend you for being the amazing human being that you are Aww. and creating so much space <laughs> for so many people because that, that's something i think is very important too that we do get to celebrate each other and we do get to acknowledge how powerfully we show up you know not only for ourselves but for everybody else around us so thank you for that martina oh thank you so much danny thank you thank you my pleasure again martina where can people learn more about you, your projects, what you got going on. Oh, yes. So um, for to reach me, Instagram is a great place. My handle, actually Instagram and Twitter, my handle is the same. It's M underscore underscore Tina. But then you can follow You Had Me at Black on Instagram and Twitter at You Had Me at Black. And you can follow Natal um, at Natal Stories on Instagram and Twitter. Yes, everyone, please, please, please do yourself the favor and go check out everything Martina has going on. Thank you. Because it truly is special. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Martina. You're the best.